This is the Reading Instruction Show. I am your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. The topic of today's podcast is Disresearchlia. Now, did you ever notice that those people making all the new laws about teaching children how to read seem never to have actually taught children how to read? Yet there they go making all the rules about reading instruction based on a whole lot of anecdotal evidence, personal experience, and a bunch of I-thinkisms. Now, the irony is that science, real science, not the fake kind used in radio documentaries, is a process used to avoid I-thinkisms. It's used to get above anecdotal evidence, personal experience, and I-thinkisms, which get in the way of perceptions. What do you mean germs, they said. There's no such thing as germs. Use your common sense. You just reach right in there with your hand and pull it out. Science of reading advocates are wallowing in the very thing that real science seeks to get above. I thinkisms. What's called the science of reading is in actuality the I thinkisms of reading. And here's the most unsciencey science of reading ever. They've determined that there was a problem that wasn't reading, not based on any real research, but on data pulled out of context and I thinkisms. They define the cause of the problem that wasn't a problem as not enough phonics. And they determine the single solution for the problem that was not a problem, more phonics. But we should not make fun of those in the science of reading movement. Many have a condition called dysresearchlia. Dysresearchlia is an unwillingness to read or an inability to understand reading research. It impacts 3 to 5% of the population. And contrary to popular belief, it's not a brain disorder. That is, even though brain imaging research has shown there to be anomalies in the brains of dysresearchliacs, with basic educational research courses, these anomalies largely disappear. Also, scientists have proven that listening to Dr. Johnson's podcast helps to mitigate the effects of dysresearchlia in 75.3% of the cases. Further, researchers have shown that reading his books cures dysresearchlia in 98.7% of the cases. And these are real researchers and scientists the ones who wear white lab coats and do commercials about toothpaste and bent carrots on TVs, not those fake ones who publish in academic journals. Now, dysresearchliacs make up a disproportionate number of people within the science of reading movement. There's a correlation coefficient of 0.8 between science of reading membership and dysresearchlia. So, what are we to assume? We are to assume that the science of reading causes dysresearchlia. Just like they say phonemic awareness causes reading achievement. Science of reading causes 
disresearch, Leah. Now, early diagnosis can help people with disresearch, Leah. Look for the signs. Do they start quoting Emily Hanford? Do they start talking about scientists proving things about reading? Do they go around debunking things? Do they send you things published in Education Week or by the National Council on Teacher Quality? And do they say, research says, research says, without citing any research? These are some of the early signs. Now, here's another thing. Besides disresearch, Leah, there's another condition known as clownism. Clownism is where a person begins to think they know much about reading instruction, when in fact they know very little. And clownism spreads when one clown infects others and their unknowing spreads. And currently there's a near epidemic of clown-based unknowing. We would normally laugh at clowns, but in this case, clowns are impacting real children. And it's not really very funny. Money that could be spent on things that would actually improve learning and reading achievement is being diverted to things that only serve to enrich big publishing. This is money that could be spent on healthcare, nutrition, smaller class sizes, good books in the classroom, and legitimate teacher professional development. These are all things that impact reading achievement much more than any reading program or method. And yet, the unknown clownery continues. They say, we're just one or two reading laws away from having really good reading instruction. If we're able to just insert enough standards into teacher preparation programs, they say, all our reading problems will be solved and everybody will be reading above average. Phonics, they say, it's been proven. Now the result of such clown-based thinking is that good reading teachers are being overruled, disempowered, and driven from the classroom. And the equity and achievement gap widens. Now, central theme. One of the central themes of the clown group is that they think children learn to read by accumulating a whole bunch of teeny tiny sounding out word reading subskills. And if children just master a whole bunch of teeny tiny sounding out word reading subskills, they'll be able to put it all together someday and read. And the clowns insist that young children must be taught things like diagraphs and diphthongs and vowel protectors, controlled R vowels, syllabification, syllable types, closed syllables, accents, and the schwa sound. They must be taught these things, they say, using direct instruction with input, modeling, guided practice, independent practice, and review. And once mastered, they'll be readers at the end. It just makes sense, they say. To teach complex things, they say, 
you break them down into small little puzzle pieces and teach each puzzle piece explicitly. And after you teach all the puzzle pieces, children are magically able to put it all together and read just like that. It just makes sense. The clowns and disresearchliacs tell me, you learn to read by learning how to sound out words. And the reason children can't read is because they can't sound out words. And the reason they can't sound out words is because they aren't being taught to sound out words. And the reason they're not being taught to sound out words is because college professors are not teaching their students how to teach sounding out words. And the reason why professors aren't teaching sounding out word strategies is because they're all sleeper agents intent on bringing about the downfall of capitalism, organized religion, and Western civilization. It just makes sense, they say. However, there are real literacy scholars and researchers. They've known quite a lot of things about effective reading instruction decades before Emily Hanford ever appeared on the radio to teach us all about reading instruction. Thank you, Emily. She came to save us from our ignorance. But here are five things that real literacy scholars and researchers have known for quite a long time. Number one, balanced literacy instruction is effective. Real literacy scholars and researchers have known for decades that there needs to be a balance between teaching teeny tiny reading subskills and practice using them in authentic reading contexts. In every reading class, there needs to be some direct skills instruction, but there also needs to be much more of other stuff, including, and most importantly, reading lots and lots and lots of good books at children's independent reading level and below. Even the National Reading Panel recommends that phonics be part of a balanced literacy program. And exactly how much direct skills instruction is needed and how much reading? Well, it all depends on the student, doesn't it? Number two, there are no reading wars. Headlines sell papers. It gets hits for podcasts and things, but it's a false binary that was made to create chaos and confusion. Villains are identified to rally the masses, but there are no real reading wars. In academic circles, among real literacy scholars and researchers, there may be differences in emphasis, but this idea that you're either for phonics or balanced literacy, you're either a phonics teacher or a whole language teacher, is patently absurd. It's one of the greatest unknowings perpetuated by clowns and disresearchliacs. Balanced literacy and whole language approaches both include phonics instruction. Balanced literacy includes phonics instruction. Whole language approaches include phonics instruction. Phonics instruction is simply one tool that's used to enable students to become fully literate. Now it's like saying, are you in favor of nine irons or golf clubs? 
a nine iron is part of a set of golf clubs. Good golfers use the nine iron only at certain times and in certain situations. Well, nine irons have been proven to work, they say. Yes, nine irons work in certain situations for certain shots, but it doesn't work for all shots. And that doesn't mean you should play all your golf with only a nine iron. And the analogy here is apt. Clowns and disresearchliacs want early reading instruction to consist primarily of direct skills instruction focusing on phonics and phonemic awareness. In other words, they've passed laws, reading laws, that restrict teachers to carrying only one club in their golf bag to teach reading. Reading laws that are a one-club solution. They want teachers to have just one tool in their teaching toolbox instead of many. Abraham Maslow once said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, all the world becomes a nail. And I say, if the only tool you have for teaching reading is phonics instruction, all the world becomes a phonics worksheet. The third idea, passing laws about reading instruction will not be effective. And we've seen this movie before. The last iteration was the Reading First initiative of the early 2000s. Billions of dollars and countless teacher hours were spent on nothing. But the untested hypothesis proposed by the clowns and disresearchliacs is that passing massive sounding out word laws and mandating strict sounding out word instruction will make reading achievement test scores suddenly rise like bars of ivory soap in the bathtub. But that's an untested hypothesis based on a whole lot of I-thinkisms. However, I will check in with you clowns and disresearch liacs. We'll look at NEP data five years from now. Not state criterion reference tests. Those aren't good for longitudinal comparisons or state-to-state -state comparisons. NAP data uses norm reference tests. So mark your calendars for October 23rd, 2028. I'll be doing my big I told you so, but you wouldn't listen podcast. The fourth thing, teachers are being adequately prepared to begin to learn how to teach reading. In most teacher preparation programs, we have three semesters plus student teaching to get students ready Besides all of the educational psychology and human development stuff, there's reading methods and math methods and social studies methods and assessment methods and other things. There's no way any teacher program, any teacher preparation program can create a finished teaching product in three years, let alone three semesters. Instead, we prepare teachers to begin the journey and this shows the need for legitimate teacher professional development and not the slop put out by the for-profits such as letters, but real legitimate professional development for teachers. Teachers are being adequately prepared to teach reading, but this does not mean we can't do better. We always can. And the fifth thing, there is no massive reading crisis. 
comparing longitudinal NAEP reading scores since 1972, shows that reading scores have remained steady or risen slightly. There is no massive reading crisis. However, data has been pulled out of context, research has been misinterpreted, and isolated studies have been used to create the illusion. There's no massive crisis, but that does not mean we can't do better. So, five points that we all know. One, balanced literacy is effective. Two, there are no reading wars. Three, passing laws about reading instruction will not be perfect, uh, effective. Four, by and large, teachers are being adequately prepared to begin to learn how to teach reading. And five, there is no massive reading crisis. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I am your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.